from the campus of the University of Pennsylvania Wharton School. This is Work and Life on Business Radio. Welcome to Work and Life. So glad you're here. Listening in on the conversation we have every week, exploring all those things related to work and the rest of your life, your family, your community, our society, and your private self, your mind, body, and spirit. I am your host, Stu Friedman. I'm the founding director of Wharton's Work-Life Integration Project of Wharton's Leadership Program. I now run a management consulting and training company. It's called Total Leadership. You want to learn more about Total Leadership? Okay, here's how. Visit TotalLeadership.org, and you can find all kinds of free stuff, information about how we help people and organizations find harmony among the different parts of life while improving performance in all of them. Yes, it's possible. We've shown how. Well, our show, Work and Life, uh, premieres Thursdays at 5 p.m. Eastern here on Sirius XM, channel 132. That's where you can find us in the premiere, and then it runs throughout the week. And then you can follow us on Twitter at SXM Business, as well as me at Stu Friedman. Well, there's a lot of parenting books out there. Uh, I've written one. And I know that it's fair to say that many of the books written for parents are about mothers. Well, my guest today is part of a new wave of books about parenting, which focus on fathers. His book is called Father Figure, How to Be a Feminist Dad, which I know you, if you're a dad, want to learn more about, and you, if you know a dad, want to learn more about. So Jordan Shapiro is here. He's the author. Jordan, welcome to Work and Life. Thanks. Thanks. Great to be here. Thanks for inviting me. I'm excited. Yeah, well, I'm excited to have you here too. Jordan, Jordan is a thought leader on education, and he wears a number of hats. So let me just say a little bit more about Jordan Shapiro before we dive into our conversation. He is a senior fellow for the Joan Gans Cooney Center at Sesame Workshop and a non-resident fellow in the Center for Universal Education at the Brookings Institution. His previous book, The New Childhood, Raising Kids to Thrive in a Connected World, really changed the conversation about parenting and screen time, which we may get to. I have a number of questions about that, but other stuff I want to talk about with, rela- with, uh, with relation to, to father figure. Um, during the week, he can be found teaching in the classroom at Temple University, where he teaches in the Intellectual Heritage Program. And he developed the online version of the university's core curriculum. Well, that's a wide range. And that, I know, doesn't cover the half of it, Jordan. Uh, another, another Philly guy. So this is a Philadelphia-based conversation, which we rarely have. Um, <laughs> although both of us are now sitting in our home offices a little bit outside of Philadelphia. But it's great to talk with you. Um, you. You were a chef at one point. You, you bring the classics into the classroom um, and, and talk about and, and really share wisdom on our brave new digital world. Uh, how in your, let me call it renaissance approach to education, did you land on looking at fatherhood from a modern perspective? What, what's the inspiration for you, Jordan? Yeah, I, I mean, I, I think where it really started is I was I was just looking at, at, at parenting in general. I was I wrote my as you said my my previous book, The New Childhood, was all about thinking about what it took to raise my own kids and how to think about my own children in a, in a world of uh, of screens and digital media and and all kinds of other kinds of connections, economic types of connections. Um, um, and as I was promoting that book, it became really clear that people don't really um, accept men as authorities on parenting. I mean, they accept them as long as they're the as long as they're the doctor who doesn't break the boundaries or talk anything about their own experience. Um, you know, you're allowed to be the, the the PhD expert, which I I am a PhD expert, but but I also like to talk about my own experience and my own intuition. And we're we're way more. Um, 
likely to accept that from from a mom than than for a dad, and that made me realize it was it was really time for us to 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 reexamine you know what, what all the tropes and narratives and ideas were behind what we consider to be fatherhood identity, and uh, and, and that made me, that made me want to write this new book, Father Figure. Hmm. You know, I've been uh, talking about work and family life for. 30 plus years my eldest is going on 34 i'm a grandfather now congratulations uh, well thank you <laughs> and do you want to see pictures jordan oh wait people can't see that sorry uh i digress but i really do like looking at pictures of my grandchildren um uh, the point i wanted to make though is about you know what it means to reveal yourself as a father, because I have some experience doing that in, you know, in the public world. And I found, and maybe it's, it's like what you talk about that, that causes other people to perhaps, you know, not take you seriously or not to give you legitimacy. Um, But I find that, you know, when I tell the story of how becoming a father changed my career and how I began to focus my my work and teaching and practice and, you know, research on uh, how to integrate the different parts of life in a way that works for all the different parts that, you know, my talking about my own experience and what it felt like to become a father and, you know, all that attended that, that that brought people in. So I'm curious to know what it was that you found in, in your experience that, you know, people reacted to with, well, what do you know? You're just a dad. We can't really take you seriously about well, parenting. Well, I mean, I mean, I, I think there, I think there's two parts to it. Uh, one is uh, is that I'm a I'm a divorced dad, right? And uh, and of course, we still have a huge divorce stigma in in, in the United States and in many other places. Um, you know, this uh, this idea that if if you're if you're divorced, you're clearly not doing what's in the best interest of the kids. This mm-hmm. idea that if you're divorced, uh, if you're a divorced dad, you're probably a a a, a dead a deadbeat Playboy bachelor pad. <laughs> <laughs> right, uh, Dad. Um, wow, that, <laughs> but, that's the that's the common stereotype. Yeah, yeah, I think so. Um, and I and 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 then I, I also think you know I, I didn't have much trouble with people thinking I was legitimate on one level. I mean, I have a pretty impressive resume, I think mm-hmm. that, that that that's gotten a lot of attention. But mm-hmm. uh, I I just don't um, there. Certainly, there's lots of people who were intrigued to learn more about my experience, but mm-hmm. I think I think the overall the overall assumption w- was was that um, you know dads aren't really considering the health of their kids, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, and we have data that that uh, not data that bears out that dads aren't doing it, but the dads tend to be much more involved in 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 things like bonding and playing and uh and 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 the, the sort of fun side of, of of parenting and not not the not not the work side of parenting <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. yeah so um well you, you begin your book with uh you know that stigma associated with with being a divorced dad what do you where does that come from um, you, you know, I, I don't know where it comes from. Um, I mean, I have my ideas. I, I certainly didn't do research to really figure out the origins of all the stigma, uh-huh. but, but, but we have, you know, we have a very strong notion of, of family values in, uh, um, mm-hmm. in, in, in the U S it's been at the core of, you know, I, I, you and I are both old enough to understand, to remember when it was the core of every, of every election, it was still good family values, but it, it goes back, it goes back even further. I mean, I mean, as, as far back as as Teddy Roosevelt, you have you have pre- presidents saying, you know, the the key to a to a to a healthy nation is a is a healthy family life, um, um, and, and I'm all for a healthy family life. But the idea is that often um, our healthy family life is is based on. Um, assumptions about a, a a cisgender heteronormative model of what the family is mm-hmm. and 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 we know for sure i mean the research has has, bear, has has shown this again and again and again that that the 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 sexuality the family organization the gender of the parents it really has no bearing on the on the positive outcome of the children the only thing that really matters is that there are loving uh loving caretakers in in mm-hmm. in their lives 
lives, but I think we still have a lot in our culture that that imagines there's only one way for loving caretaking to look. Mm-hmm. And that creates all kinds of uh, conflicts and and constraints for for freedom to to enact uh, the the role of of parent in our society. So so the, what what's the essence of of the father narrative that that we've inherited? And, and its consequences. I think that'll be a, a, a good sort of pathway into what you write about in, in Father Figure as, as a kind of uh, new path forward. Yeah, I, I mean, I, th- I think there, the, it, that's a really big, a really big question, right? There, there's a whole lot built into sure. our into our narratives uh, of fatherhood. I mean, even when you you hear the word patriarchy, right, the, it literally means rule or organization by the father. Um, mm-hmm. So, uh, so we we know that that, that that sort of the father knows best is at the core of so much of the way we think about what's the what what's the organization of of healthy society. Um, but but I tend to think if you really want to think about it, I think the one we're all most familiar with is, is this is the sort of uh, you know word cleaver, the stoic the stoic sitcom dad of the of the nineteen fifties. This sort this sort of goes to work, comes home, is the ultimate authority. Dinner is on the table. Maybe we have a little bit of the sort of. Um, uh, uh, I can't remember his name from Married with Children. Now they're like you know you sit and command from the television with the beer in your hand. Um, yeah. um, all, all of those things, which which of course none of us are, but that's still a lot of what's on TV. Uh, even even in the 21st century, a lot of what's in the movies, a lot of what's in cartoons, and then you add on a, a, so many different um, mythical narratives, right? And by mythical, I mean I mean the more fantasy kind of movie narratives. Uh, you can think about like. Star Wars and this idea of the of 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 Darth Vader as the like ogre king that needs to be defeated by the revolutionary hero, which of course is at the core of so much American mythology. This idea of the the hero revolutionary stopping the the the, the tyrant king, um, and and so I think that how does gives- that inform who we are as fathers? Well, well, I think I think because we buy so much into this, we we often see ourselves as dads who need. To, to be that tyrant king, right? So, for example, mm. we we may uh, we may we we may do the tough love fathering thing. We may think it's our job as the dad to be to to uh, I say it at one point in father figure to to mimic the real world's apathy so that the so that our kids are prepared to deal with the with with the hard difficult. Uh, mm. uh, tension of the world and in in that we're starting to play out this sort of Darth Vader I'm the I'm the villain in your in your hero narrative you have to eventually revolt against me we've sort of believed this in teenagers for example that they, that unless they get to have their their revolutionary you know metaphorically overthrow the overthrow their own dad then they then they haven't they haven't aged right which means Dad has to play this part of the of of the of the hardened ruler who eventually becomes the vanquished uh, uh, ruler, um, and 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 so you know this is again just one example of many different forces that come together to 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 create images of fatherhood. Uh, one of the things I do in Father Figure is is talk about what that looks like in terms of fathers and their sons. Talk about what that looks like in mm-hmm. terms of fathers and their daughters. Right? How often do we hear someone say, "I want my daughter to find a man just like me," right? As if the fathers the 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 prototypical boyfriend or husband, which is absurd in so many ways. Um, <laughs> um, I mean, for one thing, because it's an unequal power relationship, and I don't wish any of my kids to find themselves in that kind of romantic relationship. Let, let me pause for a moment and remind listeners, this is Work and Life on Business Radio, Sirius XM, Channel 132. I'm your host, Stu Friedman. My guest today is Jordan Shapiro, another guy from Philly. Actually, I'm from New York, but I live in Philly and I have been here for 35 years. So I kind of consider myself actually a Philly person now. Jordan is the author of the great new book. It's called Father Figure, How to Be a Feminist Dad. We need some new ideas because the old model has caused a lot of pain and a lot of uh, misguided actions on the parts of uh, parents and fathers in particular. So um, we, we you've identified some of the some of the difficulties of you know the narrative that we've inherited and its consequences you know and there's been 
uh, a, a huge wave I mean, over the course of my career, certainly of uh, research and interest in, in new models uh, and new attitudes that, that men and women have about what they expect of each other in society and what they expect of each other as, as parents. Um, I did a study comparing Gen Xers and uh, um, <clears throat> millennials, a, longi- a 20 year longitudinal study of, people graduating uh, from Wharton undergrad at University of Pennsylvania. And we looked at the attitudes of uh, people in the early 90s and then in uh, the early 2010s. And it's very clear that uh, men and women are more aligned in their thinking about egalitarian relationships and responsibilities. Um, I know you're aware of a lot of this. and this is all to the good uh, that that the the old broken models are 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 changing. So your focus is on being a feminist dad, which I have tried to be. Um, tell us what does it take? What makes a feminist dad? Let's start with that, and then we'll get into and spend most of our time talking about how you can become more of one. What is a feminist dad? Yeah, yeah. I mean, the the first thing I I would say is 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 to your point about how we do know that 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 men want to have I mean, and women and and gender nonconforming folks they 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 want a much more egalitarian model, a much more uh, yeah, um, uh, progressive way of thinking about uh, about gender and and, mm-hmm. and 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 equity. But but what we find is that in a lot of cases that's not you know their their actions sort of betray their betray their desires. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. um, so for you know some examples might be which I'm sure you're aware of is that is that despite knowing that men are way more involved in 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 in, in child care than they have been in. In in generations, um, um, we don't see the 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 distribution of domestic labor changing that much, right? Mm-hmm. So so there's still there, women are still doing the majority of the work around it. Men are certainly starting to ide- put fatherhood at the center of their identities rather than than their mm-hmm. professional identity going ahead of that. But but we don't see that panning out in terms of the the work at home. Mm-hmm. Um, and and so part of what I was trying to do is to say, hey, there there's so many men who I think want to uh, w- want to be doing different things as you said you've tried to be a, a, a feminist dad, dad your your entire parental life um, um, but but men are often not aware of the ways in which that their their behavior or their commitment to old models or old narratives of fatherhood identity actually reinforce and maintain exactly the thing they don't want right so yeah. so, well, so in, kind of unconscious bias there you might say yeah, yeah, absolutely. And so when I first started to write Father Figure, my real goal was to say, hey, hey, you know, this is not a book about saying, hey, men, you're villains, you've done such a terrible thing, you need to change. This is a book about going, hey, men, I know what you want, and you really need to do a, a, a level of self-interrogation that allows you to do what you want e- even better. Mm-hmm. Um, um, and, 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 and that's what I found from most people who have read it, is that they go, wow, I, I you know, I, I didn't realize all the places I was, I was doing these things, and I'm not happy to, to, to recognize it, right, and again, it's not even so much things people are doing. It's not actions, right? None of us are running around going, "Hey, I think all women should be in the kitchen." I mean, some people might be doing that, but I don't think most Come people on. are are are, do, are doing that. Um, um, but 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 nevertheless, there's a lot of things we do as we sort of live into um, these models of of what we consider to be mature masculinity, mature masculine mm-hmm. stewardship that that reinforce. Prob- problematic be- behaviors, and so to me, the the real to, to get back to the original question, which is what is a, what is a feminist dad, yes. right? Is is really someone who's willing to do that work to say, you know, how how do I how do I interrogate my my own actions to try to uh, uh, parent and 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 and. Um, and be a spouse or whatever, or to, and be a caretaker and be a, and be a person in the world in a way that's more, um, attuned to, to the, to the feminist, um, to, to feminist movements in, in, in general. I mean, really the, 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 book should say how to be a pro feminist dad. Cause that would be more, more, more accurate. Um, you know, you're, you're, you're in favor of a feminist cause, but, but you know, it's a mainstream book. So I, I don't, we don't need to add extra letters to, <laughs> to confuse the message. <laughs> mm-hmm. 
<laughs> yeah, it's to support the cause of freedom uh, yeah. and and uh, choice for for women to become who they want to become in our world. Uh, and I, you know, applaud your emphasis on uh, raising one's own consciousness as the primary task there. Um, and uh, I want to now see if we can get into uh, the, 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 the four main elements, as I took it from your book, mm -hmm. that, that are essential for anyone interested in, uh, in, in moving along this path <clears throat> to help their daughters, their sons, our world. Um, take us through, if you can, just in summary first, what are the, what are the critical elements that you found in your work uh, that, that, that we need to do to become uh, the kind of father figure that most of us want to be. Yeah, so so I'll I'll give you the I'll give you the sort of the the, the list with the, with the with the headers for for what Good. those are because I assume we're gonna we're gonna talk about them in more detail afterwards. So they may not yes. make sense to everyone right away, but let's okay. let's lay them out first, please. Uh, uh, you know, number one is is, is critical consciousness. Uh, you have to be willing to to and committed to to developing critical consciousness. And again, we'll explain what that means shortly. Mm -hmm. uh, number two is a commitment to what I call responsive fathering. Uh, we should mm -hmm. probably just call it responsive parenting because you know I'm not sure it needed to be gendered, but it is a book about fathers, so it, so I called it responsive fathering in the book. Okay, um, <laughs> makes sense. Yeah. The third the third one is, is a is uh, you know an objection to uh, what what I call locker room gender essentialism. Um, you know the, this idea that 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 gender identity is defined by sex identity. Um, um, I guess sex isn't an identity; is defined by biological sex mm -hmm. um, or anatomy. Um, and, um, and and the last one is what I call rigorous inclusivity. Um, mm -hmm. And and I'm sure we'll get into that one as well. That's that might be my favorite. <laughs> if I oh. had to have one. <laughs> well then let's start with that, even though it's fourth in your roster. Why do yeah. you, why what is rigorous inclusivity? I think we can probably all infer what that means, but please give us your definition and explain why it excites you most. Well, well, I, you know, the, the rigorous inclusivity, as you said, is what it sounds like. It's just a commitment to, to really, you know, every, the way I think of it is everyone deserves a life, a life of dignity, right? Everyone deserves to live their life with, with dignity. And, um, and, and that's important to me because I think, you know, a lot of people hear the word feminist on, uh, in the title of a book and they think it's really about cisgender uh, equality. And, and I, I, I take it way beyond that. You know, we need to be committed to, to the inclusivity, the equality and the dignity of transgender folk, not gender nonconforming folk. And then we also need to be committed to the dignity of, of all different races, all different ethnicities, all different ages, all different able, ableisms. Uh, how mm -hmm. do you say that? I'll, I'll different le levels of, of ability or, 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 and you know, all, all the different ways. I, I, I feel like I could have written, a, 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 you know, how to be an anti-racist dad. I could have written, you know, a, a, lots of different books. I, 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 they would have taken that, you know, to put them all together, inclusivity would have taken thousands of pages. So what does that look like for a father uh, to be rigorously inclusive? Well, I, I think what it means is, is, is demonstrating to your kids, mm -hmm. right? Uh, first, and, first and foremost, and modeling a level of of, of inclusivity that that informs everything, right? So, so in my own household, that that often means you know calling out stereotypes when I hear them, not just gender stereotypes. Calling out, uh, calling out, you know, anti-Semitic stereotypes, calling out racist stereotypes. There's so much around us, and and, and a real commitment to demonstrating to my kids all the time. That what it means to be a man, which is sort of a terrible phrase, because it should just be what it means to be a mature adult, um, is 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 to really be committed to using whatever privileges you have to to lifting others, or at least not being an obstacle to others. Hmm. And and what uh, we're gonna we can take a short break in just a minute, but um, before we do, what is it that makes being rigorously inclusive difficult for the fathers that you encounter? Um, 
You know, again, I, I think first I want to I want to acknowledge that I think for most of the fathers I encounter, they want to be rigorously inclusive, and their goal is to be rigorously inclusive. But there are so many stereotypes, so many assumptions, so many unconscious biases in our society, so many narratives that have taught us to think certain ways um, that we just do not. Um, keep at the front of our mind all the time. Um, and and, and it, to me, that's a really important thing you need to do while dealing with kids, right? That's sort of, the, to me, the discipline of dealing with kids, the discipline of keeping important social justice questions front of mind so that you demonstrate this to your kids every day. You know, the, the thing is, I want to raise kids who 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 are just a, who would be just as shocked by racism and sexism and bigotry as they as they would be by seeing someone get beat up and just go that's just not right that shouldn't exist in the world. So why don't more fathers take up that challenge? Um I you know again I think a lot of fathers do take up that challenge and again the 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 point of of the book father figure is not to say hey you haven't done this as much to say here here are some tools to allow you to do what you already want to do in 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 more effective and more powerful ways mm-hmm. um um and I think there there's there's a lot of places where we just don't understand um, how our behavior reinforces things, right? How often our, our language, partially because I, I, I'm sure you and I could both tell hundreds of stories about places where we reproduced uh, behaviors that we saw our own father do while inter- interacting with us without even thinking twice because we just thought it's what it meant to be a good a good caretaker, right? Mm-hmm. Um, because that was what we were, how we were raised, right? And and there's so many times in my life where I go, wait, why why am I doing this that way? Oh, right, because that's what it was like when I was a kid. I really need to think about whether that still makes sense for the current world. Yes, um, we're going to pick it up on that note when we come back. Just a short break here. Don't go away. We'll be continuing the conversation with Jordan Shapiro about his book, Father Figure, when we return in just a minute. I am Stu Friedman. This is Work and Life on Business Radio, Sirius XM 132. Stay with us. We'll be right back. You're listening to Work and Life on Business Radio. Hey, welcome back to Work and Life. Really glad you're here. I am your host, Stu Friedman, and... I am speaking today to Jordan Shapiro, who is a senior fellow for the Joan Gans Cooney Center at Sesame Workshop and non-resident fellow in the Center for Universal Education at the Brookings Institution. We're talking about his new book, Father Figure, How to Be a Feminist Dad. So, Jordan, uh, we talked about the the four main things that you focus on in Father Figure, um, including rigorous inclusivity and what it means to enact that as a conscious parent, father, uh, let's let's go to the other elements uh, and unpack them a bit, shall we? Critical consciousness. We kind of started talking about that at the beginning of our conversation, interrogating your own biases. Uh, what what does critical consciousness mean for fathers in the world today? Yeah, so so I borrowed the term critical consciousness from the the, the iconic Brazilian educator Paulo Freire. Uh, it's a it's a term that that he used to describe, um, you know, what the real goal of 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 literacy education was, right? And and when he was doing it, he was dealing with with subjugated communities, and and what he saw was that they often had learned to internalize the narrative of their own uh, uh, worthlessness, and that mm-hmm. and that he had to. Teach Teach them how how to interrogate that in critical ways, so that they could even make different kinds of decisions. And mm-hmm. so I, I I borrowed that idea because I thought what it really needed to happen was that fathers needed to practice this this process of critical consciousness, which means recognizing the ways in which your uh, your actions fit into a, a larger si- systemic structure, right? A, a, a large, a larger system that so, that often feels good to you and often serves you, but in other cases um, doesn't feel good to you and doesn't serve you. And and the reason I like this term rather than just saying, you know, look at yourself, right, <laughs> or, or in, interrogate yourself, is that I think you know, um, you know I, so many people have written about the degree to which patriarchy is not only um, 
um, bad for those who are are oppressed or subjugated or exploited by it, women and 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 anyone who's not uh, mm-hmm. basically a white man at this mm-hmm. at this point. But but also, it's not good for most men, right? Most men are not enjoying the the, the systemic privileges. Most mo, you know, most men. Um, one of the things I say in the, in the book is is that I think we've often started to think that men must experience patriarchy as the opposite of how women experience it. So that we think if women experience it as being subjugated, then men must experience it as feeling dominant. Uh, and most men don't feel dominant. Most men feel like they're fighting on a giant game of King of the Hill to try to become some kind of alpha male. And we're mostly all losing because there's only room for one. <laughs> so so, yeah, it's, so it's isolating and, yeah. and anxiety provoking and uh, all kinds of bad uh, imprisonment uh, for, for men as well. A different kind of prison for sure. Um, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And so, and so, so when I use the term critical consciousness, yeah. I'm saying a willingness to to really look at that for yourself, what you're participating in, how you're helping your, or hurting yourself, how you're helping or hurting others, um, and not just critical consciousness about your own actions, but then the other side being that you need to be teaching your kids to cultivate the same kind of critical consciousness, uh, in the sense of interrogating the systems in which they're participating. So with kids. So- yeah, yeah, go ahead. Um, were you about to give an example? Because I'm curious if you could. Yeah, well, I was going to give a great a great kid example. Is is that is that if you think about, I, I'm, I, this is fresh on my mind because I was just talking to a teenage one of, one of my teenage sons about it. Is is that if you think about the sort of social hierarchy of middle school, right? And I think most of us, uh, uh, it was probably traumatic enough that no matter how old you are, you can remember the weird social hierarchy of middle school: who's cool, mm-hmm. cool kids, who's the dorks, who's in, who's out. You know, it, it's um, well, well. Um, my my kids were telling me about how they might see things that are problematic. They might hear homophobia. They might hear sexism, and they don't want to uh, to to stand up for that because it 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 it, it damages their position in the in the right. social hierarchy. Right? Maybe you become a snitch. Maybe you become uh, somebody to be made fun of. Maybe you know we we, we all know that experience. Mm-hmm. So how do you raise kids who are ready to interrogate and see all the forces that are that are in place that keep us from stopping problematic uh, uh, behavior. What'd you tell them? Well, I, I told them that I told them that the whole reason that, that it took so long for us to get uh, so many equalities for for subjugated groups is because people were afraid to stand up to it. Uh, they I think they got it. They also were a little confused because they were like, I don't want to be a social lemming either. So right. what do I do? But again, the important thing with kids is that we're we're teaching them to reflect and ask these kinds of questions more than we care so much about the outcomes. They're allowed to make a million mistakes when they're when they're kids. What we want to make sure is those mistakes are all consistent. With critical with critical consciousness, I have no idea how it turned out because I didn't. Uh, I, you know, I haven't. I, I haven't asked them yet. So, <laughs> mm. yeah. Well, uh, maybe you can uh, fill us in when you get more data on that. Um, so there's there's rigorous inclusivity, critical consciousness. Uh, explain if you can what um, responsive fathering looks like what what do you mean by that and why is it important yeah so so at the most basic thing responsive fathering is what it sounds like you living in a way where 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 your parent your parental persona is about responding to those around you now that may seem really obvious at first but but so much of how we think about authority Right, so much about how we think about parental authority is exactly the opposite. So, if you put it, uh, if you take the word authority literally, it means to author, right? It means to be the author. It means you get to write, write the write the story. And 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 so much that's built into this father knows best fatherhood identity is that we're the author of the whole family's story, right? We're the protagonist in the story. Every everybody else is a supplemental character. In an everyday sense, uh, uh, I think we've all experienced this, as probably especially during the pandemic. I know I. Have when I'm sitting working and all of a sudden my son comes down to ask me for lunch or something and I'm like, why are you interrupting me? But, you know, he's got his own story in which he's the hero and he's not interrupting me. I'm just the, you know, mentor or cook or villain in his in his story. And I think we forget that we're living in a, in, in a society, a, a culture 
a community of colliding myths, right? Where where everybody imagines they're the hero of their of their own story, and uh, um, and, and and as the as as the if we're going to be responsive parents, we need to acknowledge that 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 you know, we're not the hero of the story in which of the people we're interacting with, right? I'm not the hero in my wife's story, right? Uh, uh, I, I'm, she's the hero and I'm a, her partner, right? Um, I'm not the hero in my children's story. They're the hero and I'm the sometimes the mentor, sometimes the villain. Um, so to be responsive means to acknowledge that fact and not to be upset about it. One of the reasons that's really important to me is I think a lot of men resist the idea of feminism, uh, we hear it in the sort of anti-cancel culture uh, uh, stuff all over the, the media because they, they, they can't even reconcile the idea that, they, that, they're the, that they're the villain in someone else's story, right? They're, they're like, I've been trying to do so good. I've, everything I've ever done has been trying to be a good person. Uh, you know, uh, everything I've done is to try to be ethical and moral. And then you hear someone going, yeah, but you were also the villain in my story. Mm. Uh, and it's hard for us to realize we can be both at once. To be responsive, you really need to know that you're both at once um, mm. and that you can be and to, and to really go, you know, What's happening in my children's story? What's happening in my spouse's story right now? And what role do I have to play? Which, you know, the hardest part about this is that means father doesn't know best. That means often we deliver um, paternalistic advice with the assumption that we're going to tell them yeah. the right way to do it. So as you, if have to be, you have to be really curious uh, and to see the world through the perspective of, of those you're trying to, to guide, to inspire, to support. Um, and that is a difficult challenge, a leadership challenge, you might say, because uh, in order to be effective in, in making the world better for other people, you certainly have to see, see that world from, from their point of view. Yeah, so, so so at the core, essentialism is this idea that there's some essence, right? And I'm using it as gender essentialism, so yes. there's some essence of masculinity, right? So that somehow my penis makes me essentially one way or another, right? That that, that something uh, uh, that something about 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 the the sex I was assigned at birth uh, characterizes my behavioral uh, uh, notions, right? The ways I think, the way the ideas I have. The the reason I call it locker room gender essentialism. Yes. Is because it it, it reminds you know so many of the things I learned about what it means to be a boy or a girl were things I learned in the locker room in middle school right mm-hmm. it, they, they, they were you know the the whispering of this I don't know where people learned it maybe a lewd uncle maybe a, like older brother where they'd be like girls like it when you do this boys are always horny and you know all mm-hmm. this non a lot of which I believed until I was middle aged and 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 did the research. Um, um, and, and so it's sort of a commitment to going, hey, hey, we recognize that that's not true. And by the way, it's not true. I should say that that I have been through all the research on on on, on gender and 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 sex in so much detail, and I didn't like it. I'm not a biology guy. I practically failed science in in in, in high school and college. But in this case, I picked up every textbook and read everything I could, and called friends to try to like go through it with a fine tooth comb. There mm-hmm. is no such thing as a male brain and a, and a <laughs> female brain. They just, they just don't exist. The research is clear on this. There are certainly some attributes which are more common in one or the other, but none of them uh, add up to a full, you know, is, j- j- we may go, you know, women may be more likely to have X, but that doesn't mean they're the, that men don't have it. And that doesn't mean that all of the X's pile up to equal a female brain. Mm. So, so to to remove that essentialism what what is what's required what do we do I mean, the first thing is we have to acknowledge that it, that it's not true, right? Um, and that's hard, right? We still see this so much, and we see it on all sides of the partisan political spectrum, right? This mm-hmm. is not just the, like, you know, if you want to imagine it's just the chauvinist pigs who think it. That's not true. You you hear you hear gender essentialism from the most progressive women, too, where they talk about, you know, goddess consciousness and d- deep feminine consciousness. All of those ideas of this idea that there's something essential about our genders actually do a lot more to maintain the current power structure than they do to empower mm-hmm. anyone to be one thing or the other. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the first thing we have to do is, is intellectually reject it, right? And then we can start to do things as parents to show our kids that we're intellectually rejecting it. So 
the most basic, if you want to do the most basic everyday thing, one yeah. is to just look at how you divide household labor in, uh, or, or even beyond household, just the labor in your family. Uh, do you do it according to gender or do you do, do it according to expertise, right? A lot of us uh, still sort of fall into the habit of maybe letting mom do all the laundry because that's mm-hmm. what we've seen, but she might not even be good at it, mm-hmm. right? So, so let the person who's the best at doing laundry do laundry or let the person who has the who, whose schedule it fits into do laundry. I happen to do all the cooking in my household. That's because I was a professional chef for many years. I'm better at it, right? That's the only reason. It was a pure distribution of labor based on based on skill set, not mm-hmm. based not based on on any presumption. So more meritocracy uh, <laughs> and, and less uh, r- relying on those those gender stereotypes, which does require, as in all of your ideas, I think. Uh, the capacity to to reflect on reality and to see what you can do to well make it a little better. Let me remind listeners: this is Work and Life on Business Radio, Sirius XM one thirty two. I'm your host, Stu Friedman, and I'm speaking today with Jordan Shapiro, who's the author of Father Figure: How to Be a Feminist Dad. Um, we we haven't talked much about your work and career as it's been influenced by your being a father, except insofar as, you know, your, your experience as a father is, is woven into everything that you've written here. But I'm asking here about, you know, uh, the, the, the day to day um, of, of being a father, how, how that influences how you think about, I guess, your, your professional or public purpose. Hmm. Um, that's a, that's an, that's an interesting question. I, I mean, I mean, it's a lot of, most of my work, how I became an, how I became an academic, uh, yeah. is, is really, um, um, in some ways, uh, Owed to, owed to my kids. Uh, I, I had to hesitate to say that because if they hear this, they're going to be like, oh, well, then you should give us a cut. Um, <laughs> and I'll have to be like, it already all goes to you. What are you talking about? <laughs> <laughs> um, they don't see that? They don't get that yet? Uh, I, I, don't think mo- I don't think most teenagers get, <laughs> get that. <laughs> I know. <laughs> um, uh, but, you know, I was, a, I was in the restaurant business. Uh, mm-hmm. That was my original career. I was very successful. I did it. Did it well. I had. I had. I. I worked in many of the famous restaurants around the country. I was a chef. I owned my own. My own business. Um, but there was a moment when my second son was born where I. I, I looked at and realized that so much of how I was organizing my my professional life and my and my business life was based on the exploitation of others. So I was trying to raise these two kids that were wow, ha- hang on how, how did you come <laughs> to realize that Jordan? Well, you know, the the restaurant I'll, I'll tell you a couple I'll, I'll give you an example. So I I had a restaurant, right? Um um, I, I had a diner. Uh, uh, I had there were waitresses and there were dishwashers and there were cooks. I did a lot of the cooking. Most of the dishwashers I, I would hire when they came right out of uh, prison. Um, so they would be in halfway houses. Now, I believed at the time I was helping them. I was giving them a chance. And in some ways I was. But on the other hand, I was really hiring them because they're, they were really cheap and they had to show up from work or, for work or else they had to go back to jail. And I would get these calls. Did they show up? And so it wow. was really this sort of, uh, you know, I'm not trying to say that's a terrible program because it certainly does help a lot of people. But how did your 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 son, your second son's arrival bring you to this? You know, uh, epiphany. I, the 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 problem was everything that I have always raised my kids to do is to be kind and compassionate and think about this rigorous inclusivity. And uh-huh. I looked at them and I went, "Now, what do kids? What do kids see when they when they look at a parent who's telling them one thing but not living that the other way? They go, oh, I get it. This is rhetoric I have to learn to say, but not uh, but not something I can you know I can stop doing it when I'm an adult. I think about this all the time. How often we tell kids you're not you know share cooperate, but as soon as you become an adult, then you can be as much of a jerk as you want to be. Mm. So you you sensed a kind of uh, disingenuousness about your your labor practices when you looked into your second son's eyes and realized, wait a minute, I'm not, I'm not being the person who I want 
this person, this child to see? Is it? Yeah, is that e- it? exactly. Not being the person I want them to emulate, right? And realizing that it didn't matter how much I was doing if I was not modeling what I wanted them to emulate. That, that we we be, we become the models that we see sometimes in resistance, but 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 certainly. I mean, we know this. Even even if you have the worst model that you hate, we have so many examples of, of how um, you know abusive abusive fathers and end up raising abusive abusive men, yes. uh, right? even when they're not happy generational cycles they just continue um you know we only have a few more minutes here jordan what is it that that organizations can do to help advance the cause of creating a new kind of uh father in our in our society you mean professional organizations is that what you're asking yeah like businesses organizations uh in which people work yeah, I mean, the first thing we have to do is start to acknowledge fathers as caretakers, right? Um, that, that's that's number one. And one is both acknowledging that fathers uh, have the experience of being caretakers and the anxieties of being caretakers and the responsibilities of being caretakers. Uh, and th- that will also help, th- help too, for, for men to be allowed to do the caretaking that, that families so desperately need, need from them. Um, instead, you know, we have so many stories of 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 men who just are not seen um you know we don't have parental leave for dads we don't have uh we 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 don't have men, men who think that in order to provide for their families they have to do so much over the top breadwinning and and they're not allowed to call out because then they'll be seen as less i don't know i was thinking about this when we um um the most recent supreme court court nominee um what is her name i can't think of it right now can you can you remember amy barrett Amy Amy Barrett, right? I was watching the 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 the, the um, hearing, the the nomination hearing, and they immediately said um, she's the first uh, going to be the first justice with small children, and 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 the commentator said, wait, di- didn't didn't Roberts have small children when he was first nominated? But no one even thought of him as having small children, right? Because yeah, he was example. the father. Yeah, we just we're just blind to the the role that fathers play as caretakers in society generally. And that shows up in our business practices with respect to, say, for example, uh, uh, family medical leave, which is uh, in some cases too many disproportionately granted to uh, mothers as opposed to fathers. Uh, and, and not adequately granted to mothers in most cases even well, of course uh and and that's something that we talk a lot about on the show and that i've been advocating for for decades in this uh, major major problem in our society but your your point is uh is a great one just recognize that fathers are caretakers uh as well as breadwinners in the same way that mothers are breadwinners as as, as well as caretakers um and and many, many variations in between uh, thereof. Um, what else? What else can can businesses do? Can organizations do to advance the cause of uh, of uh, the the kind of father figure we want to see? Well, well, I, I think in general, and, and I and I know you talk a lot about this. You know, just rethinking the the hierarchies of uh, of leadership because because if there's one thing that that I learned uh, while running while running a restaurant, which is the last time I run a ran a pretty a pretty substantial business with a staff and uh, all, all all kinds of things, uh, is is the degree to which the the hierarchy shapes uh, not only the tone of the entire business but also the tone of the lives of all the people within it. You know, there's a reason you turn on um, you, you know so so many. TV, you know, if you think about so many sci-fi TV, like Star Trek, right? We always we always see the like captain as the as the patriarch of the uh, uh, of the starship, right? Um, you know, we really need to think about the degree to which the ways we organize all of the hierarchies in in our lives mm-hmm. end up interacting with all the other hierarchies in our lives. What, what's your hope for your your sons, Jordan? Um, their lives, <laughs> their lives, not, yeah. not just tomorrow and, and, and the next day, but, you know, as you look at the scope of, uh, what they are going to experience in the world over the decades to come. I mean, to me, it, it, it's a, it's a commitment to, uh, again, I think this is why I said it was my favorite to, to rigorous inclusivity. And that if we're not doing work to make, uh, to make it, it the world more inclusive for more people to lift more people up, then, then why are we 
doing it. You know, I, I'm the kind of guy who thinks of most of our businesses, most of our technologies. The reason they exist is supposed to make our, our civilizations and our communities more peaceful, more happy, more people thriving. It's not it's not to put some some down. Sometimes things happen that, that force us to, to, to do that and we make mistakes. And I, I'm certainly not 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 trying to, you know, hold anyone accountable. Well, we should be held accountable for our mistakes. But 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 you know we we shouldn't be we shouldn't be um um you know perma- permanently characterized by those mistakes and if you're not trying to do that so that if you're not trying to make a better world for more people more inclusive more dignity then why are you doing anything? And I think I think pretty much any business on some level should be doing that, right? Like I like to think that if I were in the retail business, right, the reason I'm doing it is to make goods available to people so they can live their lives better. Yes, I should make a profit while I do that, but mm-hmm. but ultimately, if it's not making the world better, it, it, it's it's not worth it. So I, I hope that my kids do that. Uh, you know, I would be thrilled to see them do a over the top activist. <laughs> social justice kind of job, but I'm also not the kind of father who tries to push push the kids in. in I, I, I certainly push them to have my values. I don't push them to, to live life the way I think they should outside of values. But what else is there? Well, there, there, there's how you manifest those values in, yeah. a, in, in a professional life, in a but social life. But fundamentally, it's about what's important in life and what your purpose should be as a, as a human being on this planet. And I, I, for one, Jordan, am glad that you are promoting that. And I know that many of our listeners are as well. We, we have to wrap this up. Thank you so much for joining me on the show today. Um, how can people find out more about your book and your other work? Well, you can go to feministdadbook.com. It's feministdadbook.com, all, all one word. Uh-huh. Um, and, and that'll take you to the book. Uh, um, that'll take you to my website. That'll take you from there. You can find everything. Or I'm all over social media. On social media, I'm Jordosh, J-O-R-D-O-S-H, on any of the platforms, whether it's LinkedIn, Twitter, Instagram, Face, you know, all of them. Jordosh and feministdadbook.com. Thanks so much, Jordan. Really appreciate your your wisdom, and your ideas today. Thanks for having me. It's really been a pleasure. And thank you for listening in. Don't forget to tune in next week, 5 p.m. Eastern. If you have a question about something you heard on the show, just email me, friedman at wharton.upenn.edu, and our station, which is at Business Radio at SiriusXM.com. You can follow on Twitter at SXMBusiness. I am at Stu Friedman, and you can find edited versions of the show as free podcasts a little while down the road at totalleadership.org, where you can also find all kinds of good stuff, free resources, videos, book chapters, articles, and more, and information about how we help people find harmony and create better performance in all parts of life. Hey, thanks, Patty Hall, for making it all happen, and our sound engineer, Chris Tooks. I am Stu Friedman. You've been listening to Work and Life on Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School, Sirius XM 132.